Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, welcome to the show. We are now a week and a half into a war crime, which has been committed. You need to be clear about that. And I'll speak about that with my guests as well, which has been committed against the people um, of Gaza by an Israeli state, which is armed and backed by the West, which is why we're devoting so much uh, time uh, to discuss this, because our governments are directly complicit in exactly what's going on. And obviously this happened after the horrendous events of the atrocity committed by Hamas, which we discussed uh, last week with the Israeli human rights organization, Betzalem. Now, before I bring in my guests, because it's so important in times like this that I pass the mic to um, voices who are far more educated in what exactly is going on in the grounds and also elevating the voices that we need to hear from at a time like this. But just in terms of what we know, because we often hear about the fog of war. So it's very very important that I say this to begin with, which is we know that Israel has declared a total siege, that the Israeli defense minister very clearly said that all water, food and electricity would be cut off from Gaza in pursuit of what he called human animals. And he further said that we will eliminate everything. We know that a siege of such uh, description is against international law. It's against the Geneva Conventions. We know that Israeli officials are boasting that they will turn Gaza into a city of tents. We know that one of Israeli's top military lawyers says if you want to destroy Hamas, then you have to destroy Gaza because everything in Gaza, almost every building there, is a stronghold um, of Hamas. And I say that because a leading light um, in the Labour Party in support of what's going on says that those uh, that Israel can't possibly be in violation of international law because their actions have signed off from the lawyers. I've just quoted from one of those lawyers, so we know exactly what we're dealing with. We know that the forcible removal of civilian populations under threat of violence is a war crime. We know that because the likes of the United Nations, the Norwegian Refugee Council, have made that abundantly clear. We know what international law says. We know that as aid agencies, the UN have said on the ground that they have run out of clean water that people are resorting to drinking seawater and drinking from intravenous drip bags in order to survive. We know the hospital system is on the brink of collapse. We know, incidentally, we will talk about what happened in terms of the hospital bombing yesterday. We know that Israel has bombed hospitals and it has killed medics. And we also know that Israel has a track record of spreading disinformation. A very famous example is when they shot dead the, Palest- the, uh, the um, prominent Palestinian journalist, uh, US journalist as well, Shireen Abu Akleh. They claimed that they didn't target her. They released video footage to claim they had not done so. It turned out months later that they admitted it. The same in 2022, Israel claimed Islamic Jihad was responsible for a strike, which claimed five children. It turned out that Israel was responsible. In terms of the hospital itself, and we will discuss that, um, Betzalem, the human rights organization, said that they haven't they said they're not in a position to know 
who was responsible, but that Israel has a responsibility to allow the International Criminal Court access, as well as journalists. Israel are refusing to allow independent investigators um, into the site. But we know already, regardless of the horror inflicted on that hospital with a horrific death toll, we know that Gaza is in a humanitarian catastrophe. And we will keep talking about that um, throughout this program and also in the days, weeks, and months ahead. If you're watching live or not watching live, please click like um, and do subscribe. Um, you can you, you can support the channel. <laughs> We're devoting all our resources to this um, uh, using Super Chat, and I'll put those questions to the guests and thank Super Chats at the end. Um, and also, um, you can support Keep This All on the Road on patreon.com for slash ownjoes84. We will have interviews throughout. We have interviews tomorrow with Labour councillors who resigned from the Labour Party in protest at Labour support. Uh, for these war crimes, we will keep interviewing Palestinians on the ground, as we did uh, last week, um, as well as uh, Israeli human rights and peace activists, uh, Jewish peace activists both here and elsewhere as well, um, and NGOs, doctors. We're going to give as much coverage as we can to the voices that we desperately uh, need to hear. So thank you so much uh, for joining us, uh, regardless of whether you're watching live or not. I just want to bring in straight away, actually, um, Asad Raymond, who is the head of War and One, an incredible organization, NGO, who I'll be very proud to work with um, over the years. Um, yeah, I mean, just to begin with, um, I mean, I just want to just give an example here of, in terms of what's happening on, on the ground. And here is, I should say, obviously, this is going to be distressing for lots of people when I say that, just on footage here of the Nizarat, um refugee camp. Just some footage there from ABC showing the sheer level of devastation. I mean, Asa, just tell us on the ground from what you're hearing, what, what are we talking about in terms of the sheer scale of humanitarian catastrophe enveloping Gaza at the moment? I mean, as you know, uh, Palestine, Gaza, the West Bank have been occupied for over 50 years. Gaza already was under a quite a brutal siege, which has left over 80% of Palestinians in Gaza in poverty and uh, struggling to basically survive because Israel is the occupying power, controlled all the land, sea and air borders and would decide what comes in and what comes out. And was openly saying that it was, strategy was basically leaving the Palestinians in Gaza barely alive and so enough that they would be alive, but not enough that they would be able to thrive. Um, since the... Uh, bombardment started, what, 11 days ago now. I mean, we are talking about utter devastation. I mean, literally every UN agency from the World Health Organization to UNRWA to every aid organization to every human rights organization are saying it is an absolute catastrophe. We have, of course, a blockade for 11 days of food, medicine, water, and electricity. And we've got to remember that uh, you know, a human being can survive uh, for about about three days without fresh water. Um, Israel is blockade on fuel meant that the water salination plants uh, are not working. Most people are down to a litre of water. Water is pretty much running out. The World Health Organization said food is 
in the next few days. And of course, many of the hospitals have been desperately short of supplies, especially because over 3,000 Palestinians, including women and children, have been killed and countless others have been wounded. Um, the, I think there was a telling quote from the head of uh, the UNRWA, which is the agency, is basically saying, Gaza is dying. Um, we need you to act. Um, so it is, I think, on literally on every level. Uh, majority of civilian infrastructure has been destroyed. Um, large numbers of people have been internally displaced. Of course, as you've said before, Owen, we're talking about one of the most overcrowded places in the world. 2.3 million people, roughly the area of like East London, if you took it from um, the city right through to East London. I mean, we're, we're talking uh, what was already a crisis has been fueled into catastrophe. And in terms of, I mean, that, that context, which which has been deliberately stripped, of course, since this has begun by those supporting um, this horrendous onslaught, um, 80% of Gaza's population before this dependent on international humanitarian aid in order to survive, 70% unable to meet their daily food uh, requirements, half the population uh, children. I mean, the point is, this was a deeply vulnerable population defined by food insecurity and huge levels of poverty. Um, before, I mean, 70%, I said, yeah, 70% refugees as well. Um, I mean, that's the point, isn't it? It's it's that this was so fragile in a very densely populated area that when you get a collapse of this social infrastructure, then you get a very severe humanitarian crisis actually very, very quickly. Absolutely. And that's why many of the Palestinians and everybody else said this violence didn't start on Saturday, the 7th of October. It started... Uh, in 1945, it started in 1967 for many people. It's been going on for decades and uh, that slow, deadly occupation, which is the context in which uh, we see what's happening in Gaza, needs to be really understood. Uh, and it needs to be understood because, of course, one of our most pressing calls at this moment is is to allow humanitarian access to get into Gaza. And that's really, really critical. But it's also to solve this crisis once and for all. And that's largely been missing from anything that governments, Western governments have said, which is we have to end the occupation. The people of Palestine have a right to live with the same security and safety as citizens in Israel. Their lives are not worth any less than the lives of Israeli citizens. And there must be a political answer. And what we have seen is that Western governments have been very, very happy for Israel to continue this occupation. And Israel has been very content that every few years it does what it calls more the grass, which is to launch an onslaught on Gaza, kill a number of people, destroy the infrastructure and, and then step back. Um, but we have now a government that is full of far right extremists. Uh, that is even within Israel's history has never been seen about people who call themselves and define themselves as as fascist, as Jewish supremacist, as racist, a uh, very strong extreme settler community that has been uh, pushing that uh, government into acts which, uh, have, have, as you said, have included let's wipe out Gaza. This is the opportunity to wipe them out. And if you look at the discourse that's happening in Israel, I mean, it's, it's violent and it's extreme. And it would shock people as to... Uh, what many, many commentators and politicians in Israel are asking and demanding that happens, that Gaza is once and for all 
wiped out. And, and I think that's important because it helps to understand what the strategy or one of the strategies of the Israeli government is in the, in the brutal bombardment, first of the whole of Gaza, then of the north, and the pushing and the forced transfer of people into Gaza. The, I think their ultimate goal is that they create a humanitarian crisis, and then in the name of solving that humanitarian crisis, you force the border in Rafa, the crossing in Rafa to open, and you push the Palestinians into the desert in the Sinai, and never to return, and therefore you've solved the Palestinian question because there is no Palestinians left. I mean, this is a really crucial point. The point I made at the start that you don't have to somehow, you know, read, you know, read between the lines, or, or, or you know, that Israel is being very open and honest in what it's doing. I'll give you an example, just based on what you just said. So, if we take Zippy Hotavelli, who uh, did a despicable interview, I would say on Sky News, I did a video dissecting it. Um, Zibi Hotavelli is an open supporter of a greater Israel, uh, yeah. which he calls Judea and Samaria, i.e. on biblical grounds justifying the annexation, not just of the whole of Jerusalem and the West Bank, but the Gaza Strip as well. So when we have this argument that this force removable of people, that will be for humanitarian ends, particularly, for example, if they're pushed out to the Sinai Desert, um, we had 700,000 Palestinians in the Nakba in 1948 forced from their homes. And the story of Palestine is that when Palestinians are forced from their homes, they do not return. I mean, that's the point, isn't it? When we're hearing this presented as a humanitarian option, they're not being subtle, which is no. which is what, what about their intentions, including essentially in the likes of these extremists, they would like to annex Gaza and purge it of its Palestinian population. Uh, absolutely. And of course, uh, there is an irony also, the fact that uh, you listen to our discourse in this in the UK and the and the frankly dehumanization that's taken place of the Palestinians, these absolutely outrageous comments by the Home Secretary calling last, last week's uh, Palestine, Palestine demonstration in support of uh, Palestinian rights, uh, a despicable mob, etc., and then saying that the that the call of uh, from the river to the sea was anti-Semitic and should be banned. The ambassador believes that she calls for it. She openly calls for an Israel from the river from the uh, river to the sea. Uh, I, I mean, it, it was one of her uh, hallmark slogans um in her own political career so yeah i mean look we we are dealing with a regime that is openly and explicitly saying what it wants to do i think the real question now is you know what happens next and uh, and and where do our governments who have been of course extremely complicit with this regime and have been extremely complicit with 11 days of block of bombing uh, what's what do they do next and i i Think your viewers would be shocked that even today brazil put forward a resolution uh, to the un security council calling for an immediate ceasefire uh, it was vetoed by the united states and and uh, the uk abstained i mean the uk even at this moment even as we see the the, the scale of death and destruction in, the, in gaza cannot bring itself to say the words there must be a stop to this war i mean empty calls around Belated calls around humanitarian aid or etc. Don't stop. Don't answer the key question, which is, you know, the indiscriminate bombing of Gaza is leading to widespread, widespread humanitarian crisis and, of course, a huge loss in life. I mean, just on that, that's the other thing I wanted to talk to, to, to you about, and that is 
you know, when I, you know, I have people on Twitter today saying, well, actually, in terms of what's happened now, Jordan cutting off a conversation with Joe Biden about how we deal with the humanitarian crisis when the root cause of the humanitarian crisis is the war. Uh, there's the attack on Gaza. Without a ceasefire, you can't end and the, enter the siege. You can't end the humanitarian crisis. I'm just wondering, just in terms of the point, which really does have to be hammered home here, is what we've seen, this horrific death toll, potentially, what, over 3,000 civilians, way more than that, over 1,000 kids. That's before an armed invasion. That hasn't happened yet. So I just think, isn't it worth just spelling out what the, the catastrophe that, you know, is is one of potentially historic proportions, but the British political establishment, the idea of even calling for a ceasefire is seen as somehow morally abhorrent. Absolutely. And uh, I, I, I think, um, you know, there'll be big questions about the role of the UK's complicity, as with, with many other leaders. Um, I mean, we know, and we saw that during, in the first week when, international leaders, including the leaders of our own government and the leader of the main opposition party, were categorically giving a green light for Israel to violate international human rights law, even when they knew that the blockade and the deliberate starvation of people was a war crime, even when they knew that indiscriminate bombing of civilian and civilian infrastructure was a war crime and a crime against humanity. They only needed to listen to, of course, what the Israeli government was saying. They were making genocidal calls uh, and we stood by them. And now at this critical moment, when we, we have to say, isn't it enough? When is enough enough? And will the UK government, which is, you know, shockingly sent warships to in support of Israel. Well, if it was serious about the humanitarian crisis, why isn't it broken the blockade itself? Why doesn't it airdrop food, water? We did it in the Berlin blockade. Why doesn't it put the, the lives of Palestinian people front and centre? It's sitting on its hands and it's allowing Israel a very, very long leash to continue to do what it's doing. And, yeah. and I think with President Biden, going to Israel today, and the, our Prime Minister will be in Israel on Thursday, um, it's very, very clear that they're not openly standing and speaking out and standing up for international law, humanitarian law at all. Um, what we are seeing is, of course, some warm whispers in, in Israel's ear, please don't be as brutal as you expected to be. We mustn't have images like this on our television screen because it incites and it upsets our British, our population. You can kill them slowly, but don't kill them en masse. It, that seems to be the message. Yeah. Well, a chilling way to end there, but a brutally honest uh, analysis of what, what is happening and what is likely to happen. Asad, I really appreciate you. Warm Want do incredible work. Please, if people can, look up Warm Want and donate uh, and support uh, the work that, that Assad and his team do. I've seen what they do firsthand and it is incredible stuff. So thank you, Assad. I really appreciate it. And, uh, I, I, no, absolutely. And I, I have to, can I just end with saying one thing? I, you know, I, Owen, you know, we, we, we worked together during the anti-war movement, right? And and I think we stood at a moment on in, in the war in Iraq where, you know, we tried to stop what it was we already knew was going to be an absolute catastrophe. You know, ultimately a million people in Iraq paid for paid with their lives and the utter destruction of much of the Middle East. I think we're at the similar moment. And it's only people acting in solidarity, raising their voice, that have changed the conversation this week. We really need to be out on the streets. People really need to be pushing their MPs. We need to make our voices heard. 
that's the critical thing. That's the one thing that our Palestinian partners and everybody is saying on the ground. Stop the war, end the occupation. We need people in the West to be pushed their government. So uh, please do anything that you can and hopefully see on the demonstration. On and a really, really critical point there. And, and, and it, I mean, I want to keep trying to emphasise, which is those, the architects of Iraq, of Afghanistan, uh, two-decade-long occupation, which led to the Taliban back stronger than ever, Libya, those of us who opposed it were vilified at the time. We were vilified. We were called stooges of Saddam Hussein, the Taliban, all the rest of it. Um, and according to Brown University, a detailed study found that up to 4.7 million people died collectively in the post-9-11 wars. And yet those responsible, their reputations apparently unvarnished, their careers continued, and they walked from crime scene to crime scene, de demanding yet more blood. And that's what we're seeing here. So please join us on the streets at 12 o'clock on Saturday in London or anywhere you are. Please write to your MPs to put pressure on them. Um, thank you for making that point. Cheers, Asad, and speak to you soon. No problem. Thank Cheers, you. Thank Bye -bye. you. Um, oh, sorry, I'll let Brett Asad take over the show there. Um, brilliant stuff always from Asad. Uh, later, we'll be joined by Dr. Nick Maynard, who is a surgeon who was in Gaza back in May, who worked in Gaza and was caught up in the last bombing campaign. He'll talk us through the humanitarian crisis there. But I'm really delighted to be joined by M. Hilton, who is a brilliant activist, for example, a co-founder of NAMOD, uh, which is a key part of the Jewish um, peace movement. Um, Emma is a Jewish peace activist here in Britain. Uh, she also has connections, uh, family connections to Israel. Um, and firstly, thanks for joining us, Emma. I know this has not been, I mean, this is a hard time for you as well. I mean, it's, you know, I, th I think it's important uh, to have your voice here, but it's not, I know, easy to be talking about, about these things at this time. Uh, one of the things I just wanted to ask you about, and thank you so much, honoured to be here. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honour. Um, the demonstration on Saturday, which I attended, um, and... The likes of Zach Goldsmith, who's a Conservative MP who, by the way, ran a racist campaign against uh, Sadiq Khan back in 2016, an Islamophobic campaign, which is outrageous, um, denounced essentially this uh, demonstration as uh, a bunch of anti-Semites who hate Jewish people. Um, and I know you, you you responded to that. So I'd just be very interested from your perspective, given you spoke about it, to talk us your response to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I attended the march. Um, I found it very moving and an important thing to do in an act of solidarity in this moment. I think what we often see happens in, uh, particularly in when there are either attacks on Gaza or what's happened in the last week, you see this sort of conflation between Jews and Israel or Hamas and Palestinians, um, particularly by politicians who seem to be only uh, pushing their own agendas and not actually having any particular care um, for um, either for anyone's life, but obviously there's been a real clear dehumanization of Palestinians in the press, but also this sort of using the Jewish community as cover for anti for their own anti-Palestinian racism is something that we've seen uh, particularly the Conservative Party do a lot. And obviously we've also seen that from other political parties in the last uh, few days, and it's very, very disappointing. I think um, it's really important in this moment because also there are concerns amongst Jewish and Jewish community and Jewish people and there have been sort of some anti-Semitic attacks as well, but that we don't conflate the sort of movement for freedom for Palestinians, um, for equal rights and liberation for everyone with some sort of existential attack on Jewish people. It's very dangerous to do that in this time, um, particularly because there are also a lot of Jewish people um, like myself, like many others, like many Israelis who are, you know, still uh, in this moment really demanding um, you know, a de-escalation ceasefire, ending the siege on Gaza, um, freedom, equality, democracy for everyone. 
Um, so to sort of really see that sort of just be, and, and sort of, and also the pain that I think that a lot of people are going through, you know, there's a real pain happening, um, you know, for, for, for Jewish people and Israelis and people who have a lot of connection to the horrible events in the South, for Palestinian folks and Muslim folks in the UK, who also have connection to people in Gaza. There's a lot of pain and seeing that being sort of instrumentalized for a, a very far right political agenda that's really about sort of shutting down these conversations, oh, sorry, shutting down public conversation around this issue is frankly appalling. I mean, on that, I mean, as you say, it's absolutely it's very important to note that whenever we get these hideous examples of violence in the Middle East, you get a spike in anti-Semitic hate crimes here and you also also Islamophobic hate, hate crimes at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there was a horrendous, you know, we cannot obviously downplay the, 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 the impact of the atrocity committed by Hamas and the deaths of so many innocent civilians. So I suppose what would be interesting is, from your perspective as a Jewish peace activist, because you said it's so important um, that that trauma obviously isn't instrumentalized, but that there has to be within those of us fighting for Palestinian solidarity and empathy and understanding. So how is best, how do we best navigate that? Because we need to build obviously a peace movement, um, which includes so centrally Jewish activists such as yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question and I won't pretend I have all the answers, but I do think for me, my my sort of Jewish liturgy and my Jewish heritage talks to me about the sort of sanctity of human life, Betzela Melahim, we're all made in God's image. It's really important that those values are extended to all people, um, you know, including Palestinians and that sort of Jewish liberation, Jew, Jew, Palestinian freedom is not a threat to Jewish safety, it's not a threat to Jewish liberation. We need to come back to um, these core values. You know, I think we see in this moment, um, you know, we see that in, in Israel itself, we see sort of um, the relatives of people who either were killed or taken hostage, still demanding a de-escalation or a ceasefire, um, and demanding that Gaza is free, that Palestinians deserve equal rights to everyone. And we need to learn from that courage to be able to do that um, and really to be able to, um, excuse me, sorry, to be able to um, learn from them and actually take that to our own um, sort of demonstrations and activism here too. Um, you know, I think in these moments, it can be very easy to become sort of very much back into sort of picking a side and actually the side is sort of shared humanity and democracy for everyone and, and freedom for everyone. Um, and that's really important. And that is not to necessarily, that is not to equivocate or equalize between, um, you know, we also, I'm also very aware um, through my work that this is not an issue that started on October 7th. This is a, you know, we have to look at the broader context in which we are working in in this moment. But for me, then it's like, you know, those are the, these are the people that I learn from and those are the people I want to be in movement with. And I was, I was interested just in terms of what sorts of discussions are going on, you know, because you've got perspectives as a Jewish Brit, but also connections um, in Israel. What are the sorts of discussions you're, that you think are kind of really interesting at the moment going on within the Jewish peace, peace movement here and also the Israeli peace movement that might might give some heart? Um, I think, well, I think the first thing is that um, what we are seeing is a real sort of uh, horror and, and, and sort of trying to hold grief and trying to hold like a sadness of what happened in the south of south of Israel, but also not wanting that grief to be used as ammunition for sort of war crimes against people in Gaza. That is incredibly important. Um, to, to say number one. I think that is really the sense that we really do have to mobilize in this moment to stop um, any more sort of atrocities taking place and that it feels like something that really speaks to the work that we are all doing. I think there's deep distress um, and, and uncertainty that happens. But I, and I think I know from speaking to um, Israeli friends and sort of the sort of progressive leftist circles there that there's also concerns about crackdowns on protests against the war 
um, and people sort of being monitored by the state and this is being really, really concerning for folks. Um, so I think really it's about how do we move forward um, in a way that sort of holds um, our commitment to uh, Palestinian solidarity and also in terms of sort of saying that we need we need there is no military solution here like there's only a political solution and that political solution has to reflect and to uphold the dignity and humanity and sort of equality for all people between the river and the sea and that you know we need Israel to stop bombing Gaza like that is just very clearly clear what needs to happen um I think that there is yeah sorry yeah I think I, mean, I basically think that is like absolutely crucial I mean, I was just wondering in terms of, I mean, over in Israel, I know there was a uh, leftist journalist who was basically hounded in the streets by, um, you know, extreme um, supporters of of what's happening, obviously, in in Gaza. I mean, it's very, in terms of that atmosphere, I mean, do you you see hope as this war goes on? Because at the moment, that trauma is obviously, you know, being used by the government in a certain direction. Do you see any hope in terms of, given that atmosphere, just how hard it is? including actually threats to people's safety um, when they when they speak out for peace? I mean, I think it's a, you know, I think that no one was under any illusions as to what this government was and the kind of sentiment that was existed way like before this, everything broke out on Saturday. Like, I think that this is something that is reflective of a deep sort of far-right authoritarian fascist supremacist state that is not surprising. I think it's been very hard for a long time to be like leftist, anti-occupation, anti-apartheid activists in in israel and obviously um again it's not to equate or or compare but i think it is it's something that i think is very concerning and and thinking about how um you know how to move forward how to support people in the south as well affect people people in israel as well is is really crucial for i think these connections but also from my perspective it's also about sort of building jewish palestinian solidarity in this moment too and i think really demonstrating that is is fundamental um, to sort of more long-term political change. Um, but yeah, I think it is, I, I don't know if hope is the right word. I think it's just that we have to, um, I mean, I think the idea of hope as a discipline is really right. crucial in these moments. Hope has to be something that we hold even in times of great distress and difficulty. And that's sort of what's getting me through in in this moment. But, you know, I really I really hope that, um, you know, yeah, as, as, as I said, like turning out um, on on Saturday, turning out to um, the work that Jewish progressives are doing to sort of draw attention to this as well. Um, you know, that's, uh, you know, praying with our feet, as Rabbi Herschel says, like, that's that's what we have to be doing at this moment. Um, it's a real pleasure as ever. We've obviously interviewed about this before. Um, but honestly, you, you always give me hope. So uh, that's good. And I, will, I look forward to seeing Thank you soon. You. And I'll be there on Saturday and obviously keep emphasising the need for people to mobilise this Saturday if you're in London, obviously there were other demonstrations elsewhere. And I know there were lots of you listening or watching this from abroad, but um, yes, to the streets. All right, Em, lots of love. Take care. Speak Thank to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Thank you. Bye. Uh, don't forget to hit like and to share the video as ever, whether you're watching live or not, and to subscribe, of course. I want to bring in straight away now Dr. Nick Maynard, who's a consultant surgeon um, who was in Gaza uh, in May. You were there during the last bombing campaign. Can you just tell us a bit more about that? So how, how long were you in Gaza were and, and, and what you were doing in the, in the hospital for how long, that kind of thing? Yeah. Of thank, course, by the way, thank you so much for joining us. Big honor, I should have said. Well, no, thank you for inviting me. It's a great pleasure to be here. Um, and as I said, my daughter's delighted I'm here as well. <laughs> Bless. Um, so I've been going to Gaza for many years, initially teaching medical students and junior doctors and latterly working with Medical Aid for Palestinians, a, a wonderful UK-based charity that supports healthcare and takes many um, UK medics and nurses out there to help in the healthcare system. So I was out there in May with a, a, a colleague of mine from London, and we were there to... Um, operate for a few days and my specialty is 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 cancer of the upper gastrointestinal tract so we were there to help develop stomach cancer services uh, 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 and this was a week of operating we had arranged we saw patients on the first day we worked with the our our friends in in, in Shifa hospital there and the european hospital to decide which patients were we could operate on and we'd planned a whole week of operating we did one day of surgery um, all day and then at three in the morning that night uh, a huge bombing campaign started um, which of course everyone knew about over here and then the borders were closed immediately um, by the Israelis so we were not able to get out the country went into lockdown we were confined to the hotel we weren't allowed to do any of the operations that we'd planned because there were so many trauma victims coming in and we were eventually evacuated about four days later by the United Nations. Blimey. Um, in terms of just the hospital system, the healthcare system in Gaza, could you just talk to me before, obviously, this terrible onslaught? Um, because obviously Gaza has been under a, what, 15, 16-year blockade. In terms of the reality of that healthcare system, in terms of how it's resourced, equipped, to deal. I mean, I was reading, for example, now there are 50,000 pregnant Gazan women. I mean, it's just aspects like that. I mean, how, 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 you know, what was it like in that healthcare system in terms of meeting the basic needs of Gaza under those conditions, let alone these? So under stress the whole time. I mean, you, you brought up the issue of the uh, 50,000 pregnant women. Two of my colleagues in Oxford who come out to Gaza with me a lot are terribly concerned about that. They're in touch with obstetricians over there. And the that the the potential disasters for many of those pregnant women in the next few in the next few weeks is, is huge. Um, the the healthcare system there, well, it's staffed by magnificent people. I mean, really talented surgeons. I've worked with nurses, other healthcare workers. So the quality is 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 huge, but the resources are very limited. Um, they do rely on 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 donations from a, a lot of countries, which are very generous, but it's never enough, of course. Um, electricity is often very short in short supply. I mean, this week, of course, there's no electricity. The, the, the generators have just about run out this afternoon at Shiva Hospital. And there is no, therefore no way of, of running any equipments that rely on power. So no ventilators can, can work. 
the operating theatres won't be usable. Um, so even outside periods like this, they are under huge stress with limited resources, but they, um, they, they do produce and work some remarkable uh, 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 th uh, deeds with patients, um, despite the lack of resources. They often get paid for sometimes six months at a time, but they're still in there day in, day out, working hard. In terms of now, I mean, I'm sure you're hearing on the ground what's happening in terms of the healthcare system, but what impact is this going to have? I mean, I, I mentioned 50,000 pregnant women. That's just one facet. Yeah, you yeah. know, people with cancer, people with serious illnesses, let alone those now being severely injured by, by airstrikes. I mean, what... So one of the reasons that people like me go out there and why Matt take out there as teams is to help them treat some of the illnesses they otherwise cannot treat. There are some patients who are allowed out to go to the West Bank for treatment or occasionally into Israel, but they are, in the grand scheme of things, a very small percentage. So most patients with diseases that cannot be treated in Gaza will not be treated and will die. So one of the things we do is we're, 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 we're desperately keen to, to teach and help them develop their own services so they can treat those patients. Um, and, and without that help, then they will be they will be unable to treat many, many patients. Um, I mean, in terms of I mean, we've been looking now at a bombing campaign. and We don't know how long that will go on. But I mean, if there's an invasion, I just don't see how a healthcare system operates at all. No. In I mean, it, it's, it's in a state of near collapse at the moment. Um, they're they're as I said earlier, they've they've the generators. I mean, the generators ran out at Shifa Hospital last night. I was speaking to two friends and colleagues this morning. They did manage to find some fuel, so they got them up working again. But he said they were going to run out this afternoon sometime. So you can't do anything without any with without energy like that. Um, there are patients lying in the corridors. There's patients lying on the floor of the wards. The recovery areas are full of patients awaiting surgery. They've almost run out of blood products. They've certainly run out of surgical gloves, so they have to wash the gloves between operations. Uh, they've run out of drugs. Um, so it, it, as, we, as we talk now, it's about to collapse. Once the fuel has run out, which is imminent, it will collapse. And if there is a ground invasion, it is... Uh, I, I dread to think what will happen. I mean, it, it'll lead. I mean, we've seen well over three thousand deaths so far. I, I hate to think what would happen then. The 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 other thing I'd like to say, Owen, is is, is that they the people in the north of Gaza Gaza have all been asked to evacuate to the south of Gaza, so so that in preparation for the ground invasion. And of course, that is for the healthcare workers, the patients. That is absolutely impossible. Um, all the roads surrounding Shifa Hospital and other hospitals have been bombed. So this idea that you can transport patients out down to the south of Gaza is, is, is a ludicrous idea, in my view. Um, the, 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 the healthcare workers, the doctors and nurses won't leave. They refuse to leave their patients. They will stay and carry on treating them. And many of them have said to me and my colleagues, we know this means we may die, but we will not leave. We will stay with our patients. So I am horrified by what might happen in the next few days. And regardless of what we know about the hospital yesterday, we know hospitals have been uh, attacked uh, by Israel and also medics killed and the incredible courage you just noted there of medics who've put the safety of their patients first, often risking their lives um, to do so. 
Um, I mean, I suppose just the other thing, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is, I mean, this is, all of this is macabre, if I'm honest. Um, but I, I was just referring earlier to a study by Brown University, which looked at the death toll of the post 9-11 wars. And there's this horrible clinical word, which is excess deaths. And the reason I, I mention excess deaths is we're looking now at, for example, the direct deaths from airstrikes. But the reality is, isn't it, that actually it may well be that the biggest killer isn't directly from missiles, for example. It's things like lack of clean water, lack of food, lack of medical care for people in, in you know, whether they be pregnant or have serious conditions. That's the danger, isn't it? That's, that's you know, something which gets missing just because we're looking at that direct death toll. There's a macabre conversation as this is. Absolutely. That's a, a terrifically important point. And, and, and of course, the... I spoke to people today who, who a, a psychologist and his sister I know who run a, a wonderful center to support um, children who've been mentally traumatized by war. And they are now, they have no clean water. They're drinking uh, filthy water um, and they are getting ill from it. And you're absolutely right. I think the real dread now is quite apart from the trauma victims is the the risk of, 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 of huge spread of infectious diseases to name just one thing. Uh, which has the potential for killing many, many people in the next few weeks and months. And of course, there's all the other conditions, the long term conditions that patients have diabetes, which won't be treated because there's no drugs and or the drugs are running out. Heart disease, cancer patients who won't be diagnosed. So you're absolutely right. I mean, the death toll will be will be far greater in months to come for, for those for those very reasons. Um, Nick, I really appreciate you joining us. Um, I know you're doing lots of media at the moment and it's very important that we hear your voice. Shocking stuff, I have to say, but I think it's so important to hear the gravity of the situation, not least because it'll encourage people, hopefully, to take the sorts of action to stop this entirely unnecessary humanitarian catastrophe unfolding. So thank you. I mean, all of your work, obviously, Nick, and you know the work that you've done in Gaza and the courageous medics currently on the ground risking their lives in a truly hideous hellish situation so thank you so much nick really appreciate it if there's, but just finally if there's anything you'd like to ask people to do yeah okay uh, uh, thank you for yeah i mean i'd like to say one more thing so there is talk of aid coming in through the rafa crossing which of course will be welcomed and that is in many ways being peddled in international media as the big solution to sort out the humanitarian crisis and everyone welcomes that but it will be inadequate by itself the, the no, there's no way that you can get enough aid in through Rafford to, to sort this problem out. The only way to get enough aid in is for there to be a ceasefire, for the siege to be lifted and for aid to come in through the Israeli borders. Um, and, and I can see no other solution to it on that. So I would plead with people to put pressure on governments, to put pressure on the Israeli government to, to lift the siege. Um, I... I, I rely heavily on medical aid for Palestine, for Palestinians, which is a wonderful UK-based charity. And they are poised, ready to take aid in, ready to take doctors and nurses who want to go and help. And they need ever more funding. So please go and donate to that wonderful charity. Yeah, I'll be doing a fundraiser, actually, um, using this channel to support uh, medical aid to Palestinians. Oh, so I'm glad you've, glad you've raised yeah. that. So I'll, I'll be doing that, though. People just look up medical aid for Palestinians and you'll very, very quickly find out how to donate. But also use righttothem.com, which is how you can contact your MP. It will take you three minutes to do that. Type in your postcode. So I have a cat attacking me there. Type in your postcode and uh, it will find your MP for you. And you just type into the box 
and just ask them, uh, particularly, I, I would say, for Labour MPs, but not exclusively, uh, because we, we have had, we do actually have one, one Conservative MP is actually speaking out a lot more loudly than most at the moment, Crispin Blunt. Uh, but yes, everyone should do their best to put pressure on. Thank you so much, um, Nick. Honestly, really, really appreciate it and uh, solidarity. Thank you very much for inviting me. Take care, buddy. Take care. Bye. Cheers. Great stuff. Um, moving stuff and horrifying stuff um, at the same time. Now, as I said, we'll be doing interviews with these sorts of crucial voices uh, right now. And I'm going to do, um, uh, for example, I'm going to do a video to encourage people to donate to medical aid to uh, for Palestinians. Um, tomorrow I'll be interviewing Labour councillors who resigned from the Labour Party in protest at the Labour Party's support for war crimes and their failure to put pressure on the British government. Um, I just, there's a few more things I want to say before I sign off, by the way. Um, and um, in fact, I've got some clips as well, just to kind of um, flesh that out, I suppose. I mean, in terms of the political establishment, I do want to just make a just a quick um, note of deep admiration for Hamza Youssef, who's the uh, Scottish First Minister, the leader of the Scottish National Party, of course. Um, he has family trapped in Gaza, um, and he's showing incredible leadership. Must be, you know, the fact that his his uh, his his wife's um, parents are trapped in Gaza. His wife's brother is a doctor there. I just want to just share a clip, and I just want to say this is this is genuine leadership. What we can't do is justify the collective punishment of 2.2 million people, the vast, overwhelming majority of whom have nothing to do with Hamas. And that's why I've been calling for over a week now for a humanitarian corridor to be opened, supplies to be let in, people who want to leave to leave, and of course, a ceasefire. Absolutely crucial stuff there, of course, um, particularly there, the call for a ceasefire. Um, now, Jordan uh, called off uh, it's meeting with the US president, and many have protested about this on the basis that that was designed to deal with the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. But the truth is, there is no lasting, there's no meaningful solution to the end of the humanitarian crisis unless the siege ends and there's a ceasefire. I mean, everything else is simply trying to soften a catastrophe, and it's just papering around the edges. It's, you know, if you're, the fact is, if you're preventing water and crucial services and, and goods, food, um, from getting into Gaza whilst you were lobbing huge numbers of rockets and bombs, uh, sorry, missiles at a dense, one of the den most densely populated places on earth, then whatever you do in terms of getting in humanitarian aid, there's going to be humanitarian catastrophe. And I think that's just so important that we emphasize because so many people are going to keep saying, well, you know, this is how we get human, we need to get aid and all the rest. Obviously, we need to get aid in, but that context cannot be forgotten. Now, in contrast to that, I would say add more political leadership by someone who's under a huge amount of stress. Um, here's a clip from Lisa Nandy, uh, who was recently demoted by, I'll come on to that, uh, by Keir Starmer um, and to now be the spokesperson for international development. Let's just hear from her. But we also met with the aid agencies who were working on the ground, who were talking to us about their playing as messages from people who were in Gaza. Hospital doctors talking about having to power down for lack of fuel turning off the incubators of newborn babies mm. and it's it's a very very painful time for a lot of people in this country and it's hard to see through that at the moment to see what the solution is but i think it is right that we are all clear and have consistently been clear as Keir has from the day that this atrocity was committed against israel that international law must apply 
I'm not going to be gaslit like that. Not going to be gaslit by that. Um, that's not what happened. Keir Starmer said that he supported Israel's right to cut off uh, water and energy to a civilian population. He then went on to say that Israel's response must be consistent with international law, but that is a contradiction in terms, because if you back a siege, collective punishment, that's against the Geneva Conventions. Now, uh, Keir Starmer is a human rights lawyer. It's kind of how he sold himself in his leadership campaign when he lied for his teeth in order to become leader of the Labour Party. He knows what international law is, so he clearly supported the violation of international law. Uh, Emily Thornbury, also a lawyer, again, no excuses there. Uh, Shadow Attorney General, quite literally their top lawyer, uh, also refused the national television to um, oppose the siege on Gaza. And then David Lammy, the foreign secretary, when he was asked about the forcible removal of the civilian population, described by the United Nations and multiple charities and, and lawyers as a, as a war crime, refused to condemn that as well. Very clear we hold these people to account. Now, councillors across the country have been resigning. That has been putting pressure on the Labour leadership who had to have an emergency meeting with the heads of local government, not least after they banned uh, people from uh, councillors and MPs from attending demonstrations um, against this war crime. And it's so important we talk about this. And it's humiliating for Lisa Nandy because um, she was demoted by Keir Starmer, who briefed against her, um, saying that... Um, uh, that he didn't, his aides briefed the media that he told her that he didn't even really want her to stay in government on the on the front benches. Sorry, um, in opposition. I mean, why why offer these deceptive statements on behalf of someone who's humiliated you like this? It's just absolutely uh, ludicrous. Now, I think it's just important that we make these points because we need to say exactly what is um, happening on the ground. Um, in terms of what's happening in the region, obviously there's huge anger and fury. Um, and it's so important we, and I will be interviewing people from around the Middle East about this in the coming days. I think this clip just demonstrates the level of anger. You can see there's a lot of tear gas and it's quite difficult to breathe here. It gets in your eyes as well, but- Fuck you, America! The, 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 the reaction, you, America. you'll forgive the language there as- Well, I think. I think you can understand why he's angry, can't you? And that context, of, of course, of the fact that the US has unstintingly backed Israel as it has deprived the Palestinians of their right to self-determination and opposed the system of apartheid as defined by Amnesty International Human Rights Watch and the Israeli human rights organization Betzalem, um, the longest modern occupation um, of our time, um, that this year alone, 248 Palestinian civilians and 40 children were killed before the atrocity committed by Hamas. 96% of deaths in the last 15 years before last Saturday were Palestinian. Um, uh, you know, that, that Gaza has been under a devastating siege uh, for the last 16 years, 15, 16 years. Context is important. People in the Middle East know that context, and that's why they're angry, and that's why this risks spiraling it risks spiraling out of control i think it's important to talk about that um just before i end oh i'll be on good morning britain this week um at 6 30 a.m thursday and friday obviously we'll be talking about that and i will there use my platform as best i can as i did on sky news and the jeremy vine show to um obviously use my platform as as I've tried to do throughout this, to um, oppose what's happened. There's something I do want to respond to quickly as well, because it went viral on Twitter. Um, ever since this uh, devastating horror show began, um, I've been bombarded with hundreds, if not more, of messages. Um, 
often in quite explicit and pornographic terms, fantasizing about what they think would happen to me as a gay man if I went to Hamas um, on the grounds of trying to, you know, taunt the idea that I would stand in solidarity with the people of Palestine as they face utter, utter devastation. That includes AI-generated images of me being thrown off buildings. Now, I'm not saying this to claim victimhood. Very important I make that point. Not victim. Kind of used to this sort of nonsense, if, I, if, if I'm honest. It is obviously a form of attempted psychological warfare going on at the moment against anyone using their platform uh, to stand with the people of Palestine. I say it's I think coordinated. If I look through my Instagram DMs, I keep getting almost the same message relating to how I'll be tortured and murdered, often in graphic detail by people from Israel if I go to Gaza. Now, I responded to this, and the reason I responded to this is truth matters at times like this, which is firstly, if you want to talk about the plight of gay people in Gaza, facts do matter. It's bad enough on its own terms if you want to go there. There isn't the death penalty for homosexuality in Gaza. There is a prison sentence of up to 10 years. Now, Hamas obviously clearly are happy to enforce that. Nobody suggests Hamas would ever support gay rights. Uh, I noted that it's a law which was introduced by the British Empire in 1936. and didn't say that was the cause of Hamas's homophobic position. But the point I wanted to make is, abs- is, is just really critical. And it's about pinkwashing. Because I've interviewed, for example, a queer Palestinian about this. And I've been bombarded with messages from queer Palestinians who are passionately opposed to this barbaric and brutal assault on Gaza. And that is, you must never allow the oppression of your own minority and community in order to justify mass catastrophic suffering. The biggest threat, as things stand, to LGBTQ people in Gaza is the fact that Israel is trying to wipe Gaza off the map. Statistically speaking, if 3% of Gaza are LGBTQ, that means 100, if not more, LGBTQ Gazans have died in the last few days, as well as those who have been maimed, as well as those who have been traumatized, as well as those who have lost their relatives. A precondition that any LGBTQ person, in order to love, is to be alive. And they are being deprived of that basic right. You do not show solidarity with a people enduring horror at the behest, partly, of your own government, you do not use that in order to to, to justify suffering inflicted in that way. And Gaza being wiped off the map with huge numbers of people dead, including LGBTQ people, is obviously not going to advance the cause of LGBTQ rights. And it would be monstrous to suggest that is the case. When it was the case of the Yazidi people who faced a mass atrocity against them, we didn't say, well, actually, I'm not going to show solidarity to them because they practice child marriage and marry off 12-year-old girls. Nobody said that because it would be a grotesque misuse of human rights to stand aside as people are slaughtered en masse. So it's very clear that is a disgusting and abhorrent attempt going on by people who do not care about LGBTQ rights at all, who are trying to use, appropriate the suffering of a particular minority to justify mass slaughter, including members of that particular minority. And it's so important to talk about that. And people are like, oh, it's not, you're blaming the British Empire for what Hamas did. No, I'm simply saying facts matter because people keep sending me, by the way, as well as AI generated images of me being thrown off buildings. They keep throwing me over and over again images of gay men being thrown off buildings by ISIS 
in Syria, okay? It's bad enough on its own terms. Obviously, I don't want gay men to be criminalized in Gaza, okay? But the prison sentences which exist to go, that, that gay men su can suffer in Gaza is not a justification for what's going on. Just wanted to make that point absolutely clear. As I've said, tomorrow we'll be doing interviews with um, the Labour Council, a couple of Labour councillors, brilliant Labour councillors who've resigned, including uh, Councillor Shyster Aziz from Oxford, who I actually uh, worked for, with, with Asad Raymond, our first guest. We helped organise the mass protest against Donald Trump um, a few years ago. She's a brilliant, amazing person. I'll be joined by her and another councillor um, as well. Just quickly in terms of Super Chats, um, Citizen of Nowhere, thank you. Uh, for your support, Alison uh, Morris. You're keeping the show on the road. We're doing all our best, working uh, a lot to try and get, uh, obviously, the best interviewees to do our research. And um, it is obviously taking a lot of time, but we're doing it for the right reasons. Uh, Rambling Tag, uh, admire your reporting. I wouldn't be careful out there. Well, look, I mean, you know, look, you know, uh, obviously, uh, you know, it's the people of Gaza we need to be thinking of right now in terms of what people are going through and their suffering. Uh, David Barata, grim question, but no water, food or supplies. How long can they last? It sounds like Holland Well, it's just a crucial point, isn't it? That, you know, we are focusing understandably on the missile strikes and the impact that has, but we need to be talking about the collapse of the healthcare system, the lack of water, food, um, the lack of the, the necessities for existence. Um, that's what's going to kill probably significantly more than a kill by missiles. And we need to be very, very clear about that. When we talk about this. Uh, slide 10 is 87. Thank you, Owen from America. Thank you, too. And it's so important that we build solidarity uh, between those in the US and here, because the US and Britain, our governments are so complicit in, in what is actually happening. Dave Baratta, how likely is this to damage Kiev enough to get him out? Man has no more compass. Well, look, I mean, you know, you know, the guy's likely to lead Labour to the next general election. I've always said myself that I don't think someone who's career essentially is built on so much um and whose leadership is based on so much deception wanton deception i mean one of his pledges was to put human rights at the center of everything labor did in its foreign policy and to oppose illegal wars i mean it's just a joke it's ridiculous uh, and it's gaslighting to suggest otherwise um i think in the long term that will always be the undoing of him i think dishonesty on that scale is 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 a fatal foundation. Um, as I said, you can join me on Good Morning Britain on ITV at 6.30 a.m. on Thursday and Friday. I'll be on the Jamie Rice Show on Monday as well. I'll be clipping, I'm sure the stuff, uh, well, we'll be clipping, sorry, taking responsibility there. Uh, we will clip the, uh, um, uh, in terms of, you know, things I say, um, and I'll be signal boosting, as I said, the voices that matter. Um, not to leave myself down, but, um, there's a lot of white men commenting on this at the moment. <laughs> so we are trying to obviously signal boost uh, the voices that matter. And I'll be, like we did last week, uh, Palestinian voices, as well as Israeli voices for peace and a whole range of other voices that we need to hear. Um, on patreon.com for slash seven Jose four, you can keep this all on the road. And I will do a thing there for suggestions for interviewees on this. Um, yeah, all right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much for our guests. They were absolutely brilliant. And as ever, we're very lucky, actually, the people that we have. And uh, don't forget to press like. Don't forget to, forget to subscribe. I'll see you soon. Lots of love, everyone. And also, just finally, it's a grim grim period, grim moment. Um, never let the evil of the, the world rot away your humanity. And let's let's always remember our, our solidarity at times like this. Don't forget to demonstrate 
if you can this Saturday in London, 12 noon, there's demonstrations all over the country. Don't forget to write to your MP, write to them.com. If you can donate to uh, medical aid for Palestinians, I'll be doing something specifically on that, but you can Google it. That's enough for me. Take care. Lots of love. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.